Section three of Fabiola by Nicholas Patrick Cardinal Wiseman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Part first piece, chapter three. The dedication. While the foregoing conversation was held, the day had fast declined. An aged female servant now entered unnoticed and lighted the lamps placed on marble and bronze candelabra and quietly retired. A bright light beamed upon the unconscious group of mother and son, as they remained silent, after the holy matron Lucina had answered Pancratius's last question, only by kissing his glowing brow. It was not merely a maternal emotion that was agitating her bosom. It was not even the happy feeling of a mother who, having trained her child to certain high and difficult principles, sees them put to the hardest test, and nobly stand it. Neither was it the joy of having for her son one, in her estimation, so heroically virtuous at such an age, for surely with much greater justice than the mother of Gracchi showed her boys to the astonished matrons of Republican Rome as her only jewels, could that Christian mother have boasted to the church of the son she had brought up. But to her this was an hour of still deeper, or, shall we say, sublimer feeling. It was a period looked forward to anxiously for years, a moment prayed for with all the fervor of a mother's supplication. Many a pious parent had devoted her infant son from the cradle to the holiest and noblest state that earth possesses, has prayed and longed to see him grow up to be, first a spotless Levite, and then a holy priest at the altar, and has watched eagerly each growing inclination, and tried gently to bend the tender thought toward the sanctuary of the Lord of hosts. And if this was an only child, as Samuel was to Anna, that dedication of all that is dear to her keenest affection may justly be considered as an act of maternal heroism. What then must be said of ancient matrons, Felicitas, Symphorosa, or the unnamed mother of the Maccabees, who gave up or offered their children, not one, but many, yea all, to be victims, whole burnt, rather than priests, to God? It was some such thought as this which filled the heart of Lucina, in that hour, while, with closed eyes, she raised it high to heaven and prayed for strength. She felt as though called to make a generous sacrifice of what was dearest to her on earth. And though she had long foreseen it and desired it, it was not without a maternal throw that its merit could be gained. And what was passing in that boy's mind, as he too remained silent and abstracted? Not any thought of a high destiny awaiting him, no vision of a venerable basilica, eagerly visited sixteen hundred years later, by the sacred antiquary and the devout pilgrim, and giving his name, which it shall bear, to the neighboring gate of Rome. No anticipation of a church in his honor to rise in faithful ages on the banks of the distant Thames, which, even after desecration, should be loved and eagerly sought, as their last resting place, by hearts faithful still to his dear Rome. No forethought of a silver canopy or ciborium, weighing 287 pounds, to be placed over the porphyry urn that should contain his ashes by Pope Honorius I. No idea that his name would be enrolled in every martyrology, his picture crowned with rays, hung over many altars, as the boy martyr of the early church. He was only the simple-hearted Christian youth, who looked upon it as a matter of course that he must always obey God's law and his gospel, and only felt happy that he had that day performed his duty, when it came under circumstances of more than usual trial. There was no pride, no self-admiration in the reflection. Otherwise there would have been no heroism in his act. When he raised again his eyes after his calm reverie of peaceful thoughts, and the new light which brightly filled the hall, they met his mother's countenance gazing anew upon him, 
radiant with a majesty and tenderness such as he never recollected to have seen before it was a look almost of inspiration her face was as that of a vision her eyes what he would have imagined an angel's to be silently and almost unknowingly he had changed his position and was kneeling before her and well he might for was she not to him as a guardian spirit who had shielded him ever from evil or might he not well see in her the living saint whose virtue had been his model from childhood lucina broke the silence in a tone full of grave emotion the time is at length come my dear child she said which has long been the subject of my earnest prayer which i have yearned for in the exuberance of maternal love eagerly have i watched in thee the opening germ of each christian virtue and thank god as it appeared i have noted thy docility thy gentleness thy diligence thy piety and thy love of god and man i have seen with joy thy lively faith and thy indifference to worldly things and thy tenderness to the poor but i have been waiting with anxiety for the hour which should decisively show me whether thou wouldst be content with the poor legacy of the mother's weekly virtue or art the true inheritor of thy martyred father's nobler gifts that hour thank god has come to-day what have i done then that thou shouldst have changed or raised thy opinion of me asked pancratius listen to me my son this day which was to be the last of thy school education methinks that our merciful lord has been pleased to give thee a lesson worth it all and to prove that thou hast put off the things of a child and must be treated henceforth as a man for thou canst think and speak yea and act as one how dost thou mean dear mother what thou hast told me of that declamation this morning she replied proves to me how full thy heart must have been of noble and generous thoughts thou art too sincere and honest to have written and fervently expressed that it was a glorious duty to die for the faith if thou hast not believed it and felt it and truly i do believe and feel it interrupted the boy what greater happiness can a christian desire on earth yes my child thou sayest most truly continued lucina but i should not have been satisfied with words what followed afterwards has proved to me that thou canst bear intrepidly and patiently not really pain but what i know it must have been harder for thy young patrician blood to stand the stinging ignominy of a disgraceful blow and the scornful words and glances of an unpitying multitude nay more thou hast proved thyself strong enough to forgive and to pray for thine enemy this day thou hast trodden the higher paths of the mountain with a cross upon thy shoulders one step more and thou wilt plant it on its summit thou hast proved thyself the genuine son of the martyr quintinus dost thou wish to be like him mother mother dearest sweetest mother broke out the panting youth could i be his genuine son and not wish to resemble him though i never enjoyed the happiness of knowing him has not his image been ever before my mind has he not been the very pride of my thoughts when each year the solemn commemoration has been made of him as of one of the white-robed army that surrounds the lamb in whose blood he washed his garments how have my heart and my flesh exalted in his glory and how have i prayed to him in the warmth of filial piety that he would obtain for me not fame not distinction not wealth not earthly joy but what he valued more than all these nay that only thing which he has left on earth may be applied as i know he now considers it would most usefully and most nobly be what is that my son it is his blood replied the youth which yet remains flowing in my veins and in these only i know he must wish that it too 
like what he held in his own, may be poured out in love of his Redeemer and in testimony of his faith. Enough, enough, my child, exclaimed the mother, thrilling with a holy emotion. Take from thy neck the badge of childhood. I have a better token to give thee. He obeyed and put away the golden bola. Thou hast inherited from my father, spoke the mother, with all deeper solemnity of tone, a noble name, a high station, ample riches, every worldly advantage. But there is one treasure which I have reserved for thee from his inheritance, till thou shalt prove thyself worthy of it. I have concealed it from thee till now, though I valued it more than gold and jewels. It is now time that I make it over to thee. With trembling hands she drew from her neck the golden chain which hung round it, and for the first time her son saw that it supported a small bag, or purse, richly embroidered, and set with gems. She opened it, and drew from it a sponge, dry indeed, but deeply stained. This, too, is thy father's blood, Pancratius, she said with faltering voice and streaming eyes. I gathered it myself from his death wound, as, disguised, I stood by his side, and saw him die from the wounds he had received for Christ. She gazed upon it fondly and kissed it fervently, and her gushing tears fell on it and moistened it once more. And thus liquefied again, its color glowed bright and warm, as if it had only just left the martyr's heart. The holy matron put it to her son's quivering lips, and they burned purple with its sanctifying touch. He venerated the sacred relic with the deepest emotions of a Christian and a son, and felt as if his father's spirit had descended into him and stirred to its depth the full vessel of his heart, that its waters might be ready freely to flow. The whole family thus seemed to him once more united. Lucina replaced her treasure in its shrine and hung it round the neck of her son, saying, When next it is moistened, may it be from a nobler stream than that which gushes from a weak woman's eyes. But heaven thought not so, and the future combatant was anointed, and the future martyr was consecrated by the blood of his father, mingled with his mother's tears. End of section 3